Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace to you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Probably since about the middle of the third century, June 29th has been celebrated as the Feast of St. Peter and St. Paul Apostles. On this date, apparently both of their remains were moved for a time from where they were to a vault on the Appian Way, the most important ancient Roman road. In keeping with our Lutheran confessions, we today observe the feast to thank God for these examples of his mercy, to strengthen our faith, and to hold them up as examples of faith and other virtues for each of us to imitate in our respective vocations. Our St. Paul's congregation may be a little inclined to give more attention to its namesake, St. Paul, but in keeping with the spirit of the day, I want us to give attention to both saints under the theme, Confessing and All with Saints Peter and Paul. There's a tendency, I think, to regard people such as Peter and Paul as perfect paragons of sainthood, quintessential examples of holiness. And our appointed readings this day, in part, perpetuate that perception. The first reading tells how Peter, Paul, and the other apostles and elders came together at a council in Jerusalem to settle the matter of what aspects of Jewish ceremonial law might be binding on the Gentiles. The second reading tells of Paul's earlier visit to Jerusalem when James, Peter, and John gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship and agreed that Paul and Barnabas should go to the Gentiles and that they should work among the Jews. And the third reading tells of Peter's still earlier great confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes, the readings for today portray Peter and Paul as confessors of the faith and apostles to Jews and Gentiles, working in concert in perfect harmony. But such was not always the case. Immediately after Peter's great confession of Jesus as the Christ, Jesus showed his disciples how the Christ would suffer, die, and be raised from the dead, which prompted Peter to rebuke Jesus, and Jesus in turn to rebuke Peter, calling him Satan for not setting his mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Sometime after Peter and Peter gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship in Jerusalem, Peter went down to Antioch, where Paul had to oppose Peter for hypocritically breaking fellowship with Gentile believers and thereby not acting in step with the truth of the gospel. And before that harmonious apostolic council in Jerusalem, it took divine intervention to convince Peter that he could be in fellowship with Gentile believers. And it took an appearance of the ascended Lord to convert Paul from his way of life as a Pharisee persecuting Christ's church. Of course, we could go on, 
thinking of such other examples as Peter's threefold denial of Jesus on the night he was betrayed. But those examples seem sufficient to see that Peter and Paul were far from perfect paragons of sainthood. Peter and Paul were far from perfect paragons of sainthood, and so are you and I far from being perfect. For some examples, let's think for a few moments about the gospel reading and what happened after the event that it narrates. When Jesus asked his disciples who people said he was in order to set right some wrong ideas, the disciples told Jesus about some of the inadequate confessions of their day. Some people said Jesus was John the baptizer, others that he was Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What are some inadequate confessions in our day? One inadequate confession might be still that Jesus is just a prophet. Or an inadequate confession might be that Jesus only did part of what it takes to save someone from their sins. Or an inadequate confession might be while admitting that Jesus was God, also insisting that he cannot be really physically present in bread and wine. How often do you and I let others make such inadequate confessions without so much as a comment? How often are our own confessions of Jesus in word or deed similarly inadequate? Or how often are our own confessions of Jesus altogether absent? Even if we do, with Peter, confess Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, how often do we turn around and, setting our minds on the things of man instead of the things of God, reject the way of the cross that Jesus followed and calls us to follow? Too often is the simple answer. We either too often fail to confess Jesus adequately, or when we do adequately confess him, we too often reject the suffering that such confession brings about. The examples of Peter and Paul are helpful for us again. When Jesus used a miraculous catch of fish in the process of calling Peter as a disciple, Peter fell down on his knees before Jesus and said, I am a sinful man, O Lord. And when writing to his faithful co-worker Timothy, even the great apostle Paul, described himself as the chief of sinners. By nature, you and I are no better or worse than Peter and Paul. As Paul wrote to the Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This day and every day, God calls us to repent, to turn in sorrow from our sin and to trust in him for forgiveness for Jesus' sake. When we so repent, God forgives our sin, our failures to adequately confess Jesus, our rejection of the sufferings that we experience as Christians, or whatever our sins might be, out of his great mercy, love, and grace.
God forgives all our sins. God forgives our sins because his son, Jesus the Christ, suffered, died, and rose again for us and for our salvation. Jesus came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man so that he could be crucified and rise again to save us from our sins. And he ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, and finally will come again with glory to bring about our salvation fully. The ancient creeds, the apostolic, the Nicene we confessed a moment ago, and the Athanasian creed, in most cases, give an adequate answer to Jesus' question, Who do you all say that I am? Peter confessed Jesus as the Son of the living God. Jesus confessed himself as the Son of God and was crucified for it, giving himself up for his church. Paul made the confession of Jesus as the Son of God in all its fullness the center of his apostolic preaching. Jesus, the Son of God, died and rose for all. We individually need only believe and thereby receive the salvation that he so graciously offers us. When we do, God forgives all of our sin. In today's Gospel reading, we hear Jesus tell Peter, the son of Jonah, that human flesh and blood did not reveal to him the confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. But Jesus says that his heavenly Father revealed that to Peter, even as Paul elsewhere describes Christ revealing the gospel to him. And in today's gospel reading, we hear Jesus say that he will build his church on the ministry making that confession of Jesus as the Christ. It is Christ's church that today makes known the wisdom of God in the world. Peter's and Paul's successors exercise on Christ's authority the keys of the kingdom of heaven for the church's benefit feeding and tending to Christ's lambs and sheep. Christ himself is present with his church, even if only two are gathered, as in individual confession and absolution. The glory of Christ's church does not depend on the number gathered into it, even though Christ wants all people to be saved. Triune God alone has life in and of itself, and alone gives life to others. The Son of the living God first gives life in his, and his name in the living water of holy baptism. Holy baptism, which St. Peter, by divine inspiration, writes, saves us. Then those who are baptized in his name and confess the fullness of the faith together come to the altar to receive the bread of life, the sacrament of the altar, which St. Paul, by divine inspiration, wrote, proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. Through these means of grace, God lives in those who acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. Through the exercise of the keys in these means of grace, repentant and believing sinners are forgiven and unrepentant and unbelieving sinners are excluded from the communion of the church and bound over to hell. 
we probably can imagine how someone who threatened our family, if they came to our door, how we would do anything we could do to keep them from crossing the threshold and coming into the house. So we can probably also easily relate to how the gates of cities in the Old Testament was the place for contending with enemies and how the Lord was the source of strength for those who battled at the gates. In the Gospel reading today, Jesus describes his church as a structure built on the rock of the ministry confessing him. And Jesus also describes the forces of evil as a structure, but a structure that not only cannot prevail against the church, but one that by implication is defeated by the church. The church, and we in it, suffer an onslaught until the last day. But we take great comfort knowing that the gates of hell do not prevail against the church or us in it. As St. Peter exhorts us, we who suffer according to God's will entrust our souls to a faithful God. And as Christ reminded St. Paul, we remember that as we suffer, God's grace is sufficient for us, for his power is made perfect in our weakness. Truly, as the sermon theme suggests, we can confess and all with Saints Peter and Paul. But Saints Peter and Paul did more than confess with their lips that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. As our sermon hymn reminded us, on account of that confession, they yielded their lives, respectively, to cross and to sword. The blood of their martyrdom, as Pastor Stenshin mentioned, is reflected in the red stoles and the red pyramids on this day. But we remember, too, that St. Paul, for one, finally got to do what he wrote to the Philippians that he long wanted to do, to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. May God grant that we who have vowed likewise to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from this confession and church, may God grant that we similarly wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies, knowing that God who has begun this good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.